welcome to Psalm 85. This again is a psalm from the sons of Korah, reminiscing of a time, a time most scholars think has to do with the return, return of the people of Israel from the Babylonian captivity. Yes, a few had returned indeed, returned to a ruined city, a fallen temple and a devastated land, of course surrounded by powerful enemies. And the sons of Korah write in verse 1 and 2, Lord, you have been favorable to your land and you have brought back the captivity of Jacob. You have forgotten the iniquity of your people and you have covered all their sins. Now they for sure know why the Lord had let the people be taken captive, why the glorious temple was defiled and destroyed at the hands of a foreign enemy, why the land, their God-given inheritance was snatched away from them. But you see, the return of people from captivity was a huge sigh of relief for them. It was certainly an indication that God had finally forgiven the sins of his people. Finally, God was restoring their land and above all, God was restoring his relationship with his people. In verse 3, the psalmist writes, You, O Lord, have taken away all your wrath. You have turned from the fierceness of your anger. You have turned away from the fierceness of your anger. You know, when we were young as boys, we often broke things at home. And then the greatest thing we feared was the wrath of our dad. But of course, after he had punished us, we didn't have to live in fear. But tell you, until the time he arrived from work, we lived in constant fear of what might just come our way. And here the psalmist finds such deep satisfaction and such peace in knowing that the wrath of God had finally passed as people are slowly returning from their captivity. By the way, if you really want to know the fierceness of God's wrath, just skim through the Old Testament and perhaps read the account of Ananias and Sapphira. And now since the wrath of God had subdued, the psalmist seeks the Lord to show his favor on them. And in verses 4-7 to he writes, Restore us, O God, of our salvation, and cause your anger towards us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all the generations? Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you, O Lord? Show us your mercy, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Now two things that stands out in the prayer here. First is the cry to restore them and second is the cry to revive them. Yes, the cry to restore them and second is the cry to revive them. Yes, God had indeed forgiven his people. Yes, the refugees had certainly gotten back to their land. But you see, life wasn't the same. In fact, nothing was the same. They were perhaps just about to give up unless the Lord breathed in a fresh life into them. Unless the Lord restored them and the Lord revived them, they stood no chance. But you see, both restoration and revival can only be done by God alone. Yes, God alone can revive us and God alone can restore us. I remember when I used to discipline Kevin, my son, when he was young, I would correct him and discipline him. But as a father, I soon learned that I needed to restore him and revive him too. Otherwise, I would leave him to discouragement. And I alone as a father could restore him and revive him so that we both would continue to enjoy our relationship. Remember the prayer of David? He says, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and sustain me, O God. In short, revive me, O God, so that I may obey you. And here they're asking God to restore them and to revive them so that in verse 6 they say, Your people may rejoice in you. Yes, O God, you have corrected us and you have disciplined us, but now would you restore us and revive us so that your people may rejoice in you. 
In verse 8 onwards, the psalmist expresses his confidence in hearing God's response. He says, I will hear what the God, the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people and to his saints. But let them, the people of God, may not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and shall make his footsteps our pathway. In short, the psalmist is expressing surrender and submission to God. He is confident in the goodness of God and that God would speak peace to his humble, surrendered people and to his saints as well. Now, I think this psalm has a lot to speak to us as New Testament believers. First, it reminds us that the wrath of God against our sins was satisfied by Christ on the cross. Yes, the wrath of God against our sins was satisfied by Christ on the cross of Calvary. Isaiah 53 and 5 and 6 tells us that he, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Yes, indeed, verse 10 of the psalm is fulfilled in Jesus. Mercy and truth had met together. Righteousness and peace had kissed. Truth had sprung out of the earth in our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, God in Jesus has provided a way for us to gain divine favor and that is through repentance and it is through repentance alone and faith in the Lord that turns God's wrath away from the sinner. For the Bible also says, whoever believes in Jesus will have eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life for God's wrath remains on him, John 3 and 36. Second, we must not forget that we all must come before the judgment throne of God. Yes, we all would stand before the judgment throne of God. Friends, the wrath of God is real and it is dreadful indeed. And may I say, let not the patience of God shown to us through his son Jesus Christ harden our hearts. The wrath of God is real and it is dreadful indeed. And therefore, I think we need to pray the prayer that the psalmist prays, the prayer for restoration and revival with much fervor and eagerness. For we know we all as human beings can drift away from our first love. We need to pray for our pastor for God's revival upon his life and upon his family. We need to pray for the congregation for revival, for a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon us. We need to pray for revival upon other churches in our community. We need to pray for revival upon our community and society at large. Yes, we need restoration and we need revival. But remember, God alone can restore us and God alone can revive us. And therefore, I think we as people of God should be found on our knees asking the Lord to show his mercy upon us, to show his favor upon us, to restore us back into that first love that we enjoyed with him and to continually revive our land, revive our hearts that we may enjoy a deep, ongoing, satisfying relationship with our Lord himself. Shall we pray? Oh Lord, thank you that your wrath against sin is satisfied in Jesus on the cross. Nevertheless, you know how often I've taken your grace for granted. Let me not, dear Lord, let me not take advantage of your patience, for we must all stand before the judgment throne of God one day. Yes, your wrath is real and your wrath is dreadful. So Lord, restore us and revive us that we may not turn back to folly, turn back to our old ways, but live in deep fear of the Lord and satisfying relationship with you day after day. You alone, O Lord, can restore us and revive us. Would you not send us your revival? Would you please, O Lord? And this I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.